welcome back everybody this is our fourth episode of um behind the systems in america (laughs) yeah i'm nora i'm mackenzie um so let's just get right into it so this is gonna be focused more on my project um which is about like this one's gonna be focused mostly on like policing and biases and like mass incarceration and how it's like started and then how it has changed throughout um the country's history and where we are now so i just kind of want to start with like a general definition of mass incarceration it's just the act of putting large amounts of people in prison and that's from dictionary.com and yeah I guess we'll get right into it. So the start of policing in America is really rooted in the start of like slave catchers in the deep south in the early 1700s. And so slave catchers were mostly volunteer white men who would hunt down escaped slaves and bring them back to their masters. And that just kind of started this cycle of white powerful men using like fear and like i don't know like danger to scare people into power and power into submission so that they would like be able to remain on top and then just kind of keeping going after the civil war the south so slavery was an economic use for an economic gain the people that had owned slaves were using them to make money. And so when slaves were all, when all the slaves were freed, the South still needed economic income. And so it kind of started, they started arresting um, people of color for very small crimes like loitering or being out past curfew. And then they would just put them in these large prisons and force them to do like prison labor. And then that was where they were basically still enslaving these people and they were still able to like get the money that they wanted. Um, And so after the Civil War, there was the creation of this movie, The Birth of a Nation. And it was just kind of the story that the white people wanted to tell of the Civil War and how they never really lost. And it was created to scare people and to put an image into white people's minds that african americans were criminals and that they were supposed to be in jail and so it really did start like this idea that the um african american men were threats to white women and to just white people in general and that they needed to be locked up and controlled and that just started this endless cycle of locking african-american men up in prisons for no reason and this movie the birth of a nation like had like started idolizing like the kkk because they came back and it started like showing like the glorification of these white men and it just started to like um what's the word like here like it made them so heroic that like the african-americans or people started to become afraid 
of African Americans and praise the white men who were controlling them, arresting them, and killing them. And so from there, it became okay to lynch African Americans. And we've seen in historic photos all of these like terrible images of African Americans who were lynched or beaten by mobs. And this was all on the idea that African Americans were criminals, which just started from the idea of from Birth of a Nation, the movie that was created after the Civil War. And it just all became like wrapped in this idea that to control African Americans, you had to scare the white people into thinking that they were criminals and they weren't, Mm -hmm. they weren't doing anything wrong. And it just, it just created an image that everybody was like, okay with, but it was not okay. And then, yeah, Emmett Till, which was even like so many years after that of just the scare of like uh what is it called criminal criminalizing black men off of the idea that they're like you said intimidating or scary or criminals based off small simple acts yeah and then kind of just from there even later like segregation like once lynching and like beating people to death in mobs which was never okay to begin with but once it like societally became not okay they went more lawful and they decided that segregation and the start of the jim crow era would be more acceptable which it still wasn't and this was all centered in the idea of the fear of crime and the fear of african-american men and African-Americans in general, and what they would do if you gave them, like, the ability to do anything. And it just started this cycle. And from there, like, we've seen the photos, we've seen, like, um, Martin Luther King Jr. and all of these people that were fighting for the end of segregation and the end of the Jim Crow era, and they were considered criminals. And so all throughout history, we just see, like, African-American and especially African-American men being criminalized by the media and by white people for no reason and it just creates like it just created a mindset in these times that mass incarceration of people of color was okay and it's not (laughs) like (laughs) um and then Right around the time where the civil rights movement was, like, gaining speed, the idea that um, being arrested by white people was the worst idea in almost any person of color's mind, especially in the Deep South and in um, Alabama. And that's where, like, the Children's March and all of these, like, civil rights movements where people were purposely getting themselves arrested and changing the idea of what it was to be a criminal... And it just gained so much speed and just showed, like, they'll do this and they'll incriminate all of us for literally nothing. And the idea that the Children's March, where the children were like, we're going to go to jail to show how they actually treat us. Like, that just kind of brought to light all of these, like, 
terrible things that had been happening in the South for so long um, throughout there. Okay, and then here's where, so the Civil Rights Movement continues, and then once Martin Luther King, like, signed, um, was it North? Not um, Martin Luther King, he signed something with some president, another old white man that was just doing not amazing things in office. Anyways, in the, no, in 1970s was really, like, when the start of mass incarceration started, and I think it was Nixon. And so, in 1970, the rate of people in jail was... July 2nd, 1964, President Lyndon Johnson. Ah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in the 1970s, there were 337,292 people in jail. That was in the 1970s. That was before the start of mass incarceration. And President Nixon's um, idea to start law and order and his, like, what's I don't remember. <laughs> Anyways, he kind of started this idea of the war on crime, and he started, you know, having more police around the cities where there were lots and lots of drugs and crime, but it didn't help anybody because they were so overly, like, racist and everything that they would just pull anybody over and just lock them up for no reason, and that started this idea of, like, just mass incarceration and it really started to show like the number of people that were going to jail especially african americans were just so high because of this idea of law and order and the fear of criminals and the criminalization of people of color and then it just kind of morphed into this like idea of war on drugs and but really, like, that's dog whistle politics, and if you don't know what that means, it's kind of, like, glassing over, like, they really were declaring war on communities of color and people of color in general and trying to hide it in the fact that they were trying to, like, stop the drug people and, like, but really it was going after people of color and the fact that they treated drugs as a crime issue and not a mental health or not a health issue health issue already just like is the problem because drugs aren't a criminal issue it's a health issue and it needs to be treated as such as such it like, they can't lock people up they need to be giving them like rehab and things yeah, like that and even now i think you can uh you can get more time for doing drugs and probably for like rape i'm pretty sure in a lot of cases and are you i don't want to like you know talk about something if you're not going to talk about it but are you going to talk about like can you talk about drugs like specific drugs yeah i'm going um okay never mind then i won't steal your thunder if you're going to talk about like specific drugs like the crack cocaine okay nice (laughs) that's what we're going to so um and it just kind of and so it just morphed into like this idea of that Reagan kind of carried over in the 1980s. And from the 1980s, the prison population went up by almost 200,000. 
people, and most of those were people of color and men, young African-American men of color, or African-American men. <laughs> um, and so in 82, um, 1982, the U.S. was economically struggling, and all of a sudden this new drug, crack cocaine, came out. And crack cocaine was a smokable version of crack, and it was highly addictive. Smokable version of cocaine. cocaine, And it was, like, it was everywhere, and it was so detrimental to people's health that all of a sudden laws were put in place, and large sentencing were put around it, and it was so, like, just so quickly, like shown in the cities and everything as just being a not good thing and all over the news and it was just so hard and then all of a sudden you're finding more crack in the cities and more cocaine in the suburbs because cocaine was definitely more advanced and basically this is just one stat that i was uh that i found so if you had one ounce of crack and a hundred ounces of cocaine like if you had either of those you would be going to jail for the same amount of time oh wow and it was because that's what the law said but it really was that crack was found mostly in the cities where there were more people of color and a lot of african-american communities and cocaine was found more in the suburbs where there were less people of color and so they were able to excuse having more cocaine but having less crack as the same thing because of their racial biases in place and it just was shown through these sentencing laws of just how messed up the system was and there are probably still people who are in jail because they had crack cocaine or crack or just cocaine at some point in the 1980s and they're still in jail because of the so the super harsh sentencing laws yeah the racist the rest the racist sentencing <laughs> laws um and so reagan by that in the 1980s tripled the federal spending for drug law enforcement in one year oh my God. there's no specific numbers that i could find but they tripled it and then it really was all rooted in the criminalization of people of color and African Americans specifically. And this hyper segregations in the cities of just how met, like, just the difference of that. Um, gosh. <laughs> okay, that's we okay. We can make a project for this. And just that little Honestly. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we're back, and so we're just kind of going to keep going about the criminalization and hypersegregation in cities, and that just continued to rise through the 85, through 1985, and the prison population was going up, and um, it went up by about 200,000 people in the prisons just because of the... Um, like oh, like the mass incarceration because of the crack and cocaine epidemic that was spreading throughout the city and the suburbs. And then um, something that just continued to happen as well as the hypersegregation in cities was the overrepresentation of African-American um, 
and especially African-American men in the news. And people just started, like, every single night turning on their TV and seeing, like, lines of just 10 to 12 African-American men just in handcuffs getting walked into police cars and just, like, driven off. And that was just, like, over-representation of the African-American community. And it just kind of put in um, many people's head that um, African-American men were criminals and it wasn't necessarily true. Um, And then kind of just moving on, um, continuing through history, um, when President Bush was running, um, he used like the fear, the deeply rooted fear of black men in um, America, um, especially like um, from like back to the birth of a nation and that kind of like idea that African-American men are like either rapists or like predators and it wasn't true and it wasn't like accurate and he used the case of like Willie Horton um who was like in prison for murder and rape and tried to use him as like his like kind of model for um his like future um idea of law and order in America and kind of using him to like track and keep um like the African American community down. And so he won um through his election after his opponent said he was gonna try to let Willie Horton out on the weekends and that was um tapping into like a fear of African Americans like throughout the country and helped Bush win the presidency. Um, and that was in, I think, 1984, 85. Well, uh, I don't know when Bush was president. I don't either. Um, but yeah. And then moving on to the 1990s where Bill Clinton was um, president and the uh, prison population was 1,100,000. 79,200 people and um, that was really kind of the start of all of the um, really harsh sentencing laws the street the three strikes you're outlaw which is like where you have if you have three felonies like you go to prison for life and then there was also like that they added um, a mandatory minimum where there wasn't really like a judge every crime it's just kind of like if you have so-and-so ounces of weed you go to jail for and then they would just like insert a time and everybody had to go for that amount of time there wasn't even like a like court date or any sort of like case review um and then they also started putting in um this idea of no parole where people were just going to prison for life with no kind of like break or like rehabilitation back into um, society. And they would have to serve like at least 85% of their sentence out before they were even considered to come back for um, a revisitation of the case. Um, And then in 1994, Clinton um, gave $30 billion for law enforcement and that was kind of like where the
the start of like the militarization of the police departments and like even like not even federal like law enforcement like even down to like these tiny little police part departments in like the middle of nowhere and they were just like getting SWAT teams and getting these huge like guns and all of these like training and all of this and it really started like this cycle of just building up these police departments and making them quite dangerous because of just the amount of force and weapons that they were able to accommodate. It also sounds like if, I feel like at some point, if you feel like, you know, a group of people have a drug problem, then wouldn't you rather want to help them get over the drug problem or help them change rather than just being focused on, oh, well now we need to just lock these people up. Mm -hmm. Clearly their priority is not the same. Yeah, because drugs are not like a criminal problem, it's a health problem. Oh, yeah. And so to be treating it like a criminal problem doesn't solve anything at all. Um, and then so on until 2000, um, the year 2000, where the prison population was 2,015,300-ish people. Um, so, and this kind of is where it gets interesting because... 97% of those people locked up were, um, ha had a plea bargain, but they couldn't, like, like, pay, was it pay? I think that's what it is. And so most if people- have a plea bargain, um, it's kind of just like you either, if you have a plea bargain, it's either you take the plea, and so, for example, the plea bargain might be, okay, for this crime, we will give you, um, five years instead of going to, like, it's instead of going to trial where you could basically if you go to trial now you're you plea bargain you plea as guilty you say i'm guilty i get five years for that that's that but if you don't take the plea bargain then you're gonna go to trial and say you're not guilty but then if you turn out to be proven guilty then the consequences is probably like if the plea bargain was five years it's probably like 15 years that's yeah. not how it works and so it was like so many people were there because of 97% of the people in prison had a plea bargain for crimes that they may or may not have committed. And then so many people were pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit because what they were to pay to like get out of um, going to jail was just too much and they weren't able to um, pay it because of like so many years of being stuck in poverty or whatever it was. Um, and then fast forward to 2020, um, there are so many um, laws, especially, and like um, things that have started to try to um, combat the police brutality, especially coming out of this summer where um, the protests um, for George Floyd and um, um, Breonna Taylor, there we go. Um, um, so the first one was Justice in Policing Act of 2020, and so that was in June of 2020, the Congress introduced this act to hold police accountable for misconduct and executive force and racial bias, uh, or excessive force. And so this has been tried before, but the efforts have never been as strong as after the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the other African-American um, who have lost their lives to police brutality and it's just to like kind of make sure that police are like held accountable for um their actions and making sure that um if something does happen that 
we can combat it and make sure that the law applies to everybody, even if they are law enforcement. And then kind of like a sub part of that um, act was the George Floyd Law Enforcement Trust and Integrity Act, and it was a civil rights bill from the House of Representatives in implementing policing standards that required agencies to like share policing data and making um, grants for programs to recruit officers um, and starting like training them. And it started like a task force responsible for um, law enforcement misconduct cases and like kind of also just like, it was a subcategory of the first act, but it was just to like make sure that the police do get held accountable for like what they're doing um, and what they have done and making sure that it stops and they're able to police without using like excessive force. But that's all I have here, I think. Um, here are just a few like stats. So one in 17 white men are likely to be imprisoned for life where one in three black men are able, well, will go to prison in their lifetime. And then, so of the 6.5% of the U.S. population that black men make up, 40.2% of black men are uh, the prison population. And I think that's just, and that's as of 2016. And I think the just difference in the numbers really shows that like there is a bias in the policing and how we regulate our laws and how sentencing happens. And I don't think that is fair at all. Mm -hmm. And then kind of just another note, like all of the major like riots or protests are results of police brutality from um, the ones this summer to um, the ones in um, Alabama and back in like I think the 60s and all of these like major protests that we've heard about or seen on the news um, have all stemmed from police brutality. The Children's March and things like that. And then also just kind of the idea that media is used to shock people into understanding um, what's going on and using it to communicate. I think that's really important and it's shown obviously, especially over the summer, like the importance of being like open and showing what's going on. <laughs> that's it? Yeah, oh, good. That's it. Okay, well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.